Well, good morning, church. I hope and pray you're all doing well. My biggest fear, I told Jenny, is it's the Sunday after Easter. Because everybody showed up on Easter, so it's like the week after. Is anybody else going to come? Are you going to come back? I hope so. Uh, so it's good to see you all back. Glad you're here. And if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're visiting. Hopefully you're made to feel welcome here. Um, but I look around and see a new face. It's just like, it's, it's good. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Well, here's the thing, though. You probably don't know some things about me, so I'm going to share this with you. Everybody else already knows this. Um, But something that I I just really love is God's creation. Mountains, oceans, lakes, woods. I I just love the scenery of what God has created. Um, But I'm also a fan, if you didn't notice, I'm also a fan of what God's placed on earth. Animals, fish. So if I can get a pass or if I go visit the zoo or the aquarium, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that because I, I like that. I, I like seeing what God's created. Now, however, I am not a fan of insects. Okay? I'll, I'll just put that out right now. Um, matter of fact, as I was on my computer yesterday working on my sermon, boom, a big spider drops down right in front of me. I'm like, seriously? Thank you. Don't like you. Okay? Um, reptiles? Reptiles are toss-up. Okay, crocodiles, lizards, yeah. Other reptiles, no, not so much, okay? So um, you just sort of give you something about me, but here's the thing about God's creation. There's always something unique about God's creation. So I'm going to pick on the reptile, okay? I'm going to pick on the chameleon, okay? Love the chameleon. I mean, when you look at this picture, it's very striking with this color, right? Maybe I like the chameleon because it eats insects, okay? Maybe that's why I like them. Um, but they're so unique. Their eyeballs, you check out their eyeballs, because of the way they are placed, and they can rotate around simultaneously different directions. They can see two things at once, and they've got a 360-degree arc of covering things around them. Isn't that amazing? When they go to eat an insect, their tongue shoots out at seven one-hundredths of a second. That is super quick, right? And the biggest thing that I think is so unique about the command that I love is the fact that they can blend into their environment to escape their predators. And that's what I think most people understand chameleons when they look at chameleon. Like, oh, yeah, you're a chameleon. You blend in, right? So I was thinking about this, uh, how that adaptability helps them survive against their predators. I think sometimes we as Christians do the same thing. Because we know we have an enemy, right? We know that Satan wants to take us out. So sometimes I think, maybe, I don't know, we, we try to just fit in and, and avoid conflict. And as Christians, we become chameleons to this environment, to our culture. And we are not called to be chameleons, though. We are called to be committed to Christ. We are new in Jesus Christ. We don't fit in. We stick out. And so I was thinking about the chameleons, like, that's really not a good picture for the Christian, is it? Actually, a good name or a good picture for the Christian is that of being a saint, in 1 Corinthians, I want to tell you this. Whenever Paul wrote letters to all these churches, he always came up um, similar startings to all of his letters. But he would address the people in the church and us with a similar statement. 1 Corinthians, I'll take you there, 1 2 says this I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. To you have been called by God to his own holy people. He made you holy. By means of Jesus Christ. Holy means to be sanctified. It means to be set apart. When you think about this, we are made holy 
by Jesus Christ. We are set apart. We're not chameleons. We're not created to fit in. We're created to stick out. We're set apart. And actually that word holy, it means saint. And you'll see in different translations, Paul calls children of God, those who place their faith in Christ, saints. So really this morning, before me, sitting in front of me today, I have 100 plus saints sitting in front of me. Saint Loyal, glad you're here today. Saint Heather, well done up here today. So we can go along, I just call you saints, because that's what we are. And never like, I'm not a saint. I mean, if any of you come maybe from a Catholic background, or you understand there's a lot of saints, right? And it's like, those were, those were only for special, really special people. But Paul calls us saints. Now, some of you are like, maybe you're like, oh, honey, from now on, I'd like you to address me as, don't push it, okay? Don't push it. But it's true, we are saints. Just check it out in Scripture. You'll find it over and over. And see, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we seek forgiveness, we surrender our lives to him, we no longer fit in this world system. We are set apart. We are different. We're not like the rest of the world. We don't dress like the rest of the world. We don't act like the rest of the world. We don't watch the things that the world watches. We don't listen to the things that the world listens to. Because when we do, we're just trying to fit in, right? We're not supposed to fit in. You're not a chameleon. You've been given a new look. You're supposed to stick out. Matter of fact, 1 John 1, 2, 5, 15 through 16, John says this. He says, don't love this world nor the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything you see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. That sounds familiar. Like, look what I did. Pat ourselves in the back. Those are not from the Father, but they're from this world. You know, every week we come in here, and, and hopefully if you're not here, you're watching online, or maybe you go to another church. Every week we should be rejoicing that we serve a risen Savior. Last week, we celebrated it. He is alive, right? And Easter is about new life. It's a reminder that we are to live with hope. We're to live with, with a passion and joy and, and, and looking forward, right? Sin, death have been defeated. We're reminded, we're encouraged now then to live a resurrected life. Live differently. Jesus began his resurrected life. And I, I summed it up in four words last week. It was very simple. Stop grieving and start living, right? Very simple. Live a holy life, my fellow saints. That's, that's basically all I can tell you is live a holy life. Live with confidence. Live with a victorious attitude. And sometimes that's difficult though, right? But let's remember what we said last week. The leading priests, Pilate, the Roman soldiers, they guarded that Roman tomb, or that, the tomb of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Well, they, they didn't want anybody to steal the body. The threat was coming from the outside. Protect the tomb. What they didn't know, which we said last week, was the real threat was where? Inside the tomb. We know that the Spirit who shook the planet, who rolled the stone away, who resurrected Christ from the dead, dwells in us. God's divine power is in you. Our source of hope and joy in Jesus Christ, he's alive and he's in us. And because he is in us, we can rise up. 
with confidence and boldness and courage. Last week, two scriptures, 1 Corinthians and in Galatians 2.20, we talked about how Christ lives in you. Let me toss a third one at you because they're repeated throughout the New Testament. You just got to read them. 1 John 2.20 says this, But you have received the Holy Spirit who lives in you. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you have placed your faith in a risen Savior whose spirit dwells in you. And I know that's so hard to understand sometimes, isn't it? But we say, I believe it. I believe it, right? If I, if I did a poll this morning, I said, who in this room, by raising your hands, you know, and, and I had you raise your hands, I would assume that, you know, 90% of you would raise your hand, and the other 10% would look around and say, yeah, I believe it too. Right? Because there would be some hesitancy. Because like, Do I really believe it? And then I would ask you, do you really believe this? Yes, I believe. Do you really believe this? Yes. Stop asking. Well, I've got to keep asking. Sometimes I feel like I'm just blowing smoke. I'm exhaling hot air up here. I'm just blowing balloons because I don't know if what I'm saying is being heard. But I have to say it over and over. Because I want you to understand and I want it to register with you. I want you to not just hear it. I want you to believe it and understand it and live it. That the Spirit of God lives in you. The question is, if you believe it, are you living it? Because a lot of us say we believe it, but then do we really live it? Has a resurrected life really changed how you walk in life? Has your direction in life changed since you've placed your faith in Christ? You say, I believe in him, then are you walking in that direction? Open up your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 24. We referenced this passage last week. I'm going to share just a little bit more, then we're going to go Old Testament on you. Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. He appeared to Mary. He appeared to all these women that were with Mary. They were to take the message. He is not here. He is risen as he said. Go tell the disciples. Go to Galilee. Meet me there. Remember that? So this is the spot now where the disciples hear the words of these women. He is not here. He is risen. He is alive, just as he said. We're supposed to go to Galilee. And what happened? They didn't go to Galilee. They stayed there. Now, two followers of Jesus Christ, they went ahead and said, we're going to leave. But they didn't go to Galilee. They went to Emmaus, a different direction, wrong direction. But at least they're not sitting there wallowing in their grief. Now they're walking in their grief, right? And this is where it says in chapter 24, verse 13, it says, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that happened. As they walked, or as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness across their face. Now I'm thinking about this. We don't know the conversation that was taking place with these two as they're walking. We can assume it was about what had taken place earlier. Oh, these women, they came, they said, Jesus is alive, and we're supposed to go to the Galilee, and I don't know, what do you think? What do you think? It was horrible. You know, he was on the cross. I saw it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was horrific. And then he was buried, and, and I, did you see, I, we didn't see the risen Savior, but we've been, you know, there's a discussion going on. And there's sadness on their faces. Disturbed, depressed. But the question is, why? 
Have you ever thought about that? They're followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive. But yet we're going to walk in the wrong direction and we're going to be sad. Why are we sad? Jesus is alive. Why are we sad? Why are Christians hopeless at times? We serve a risen Savior. He is alive, right? They were told the truth. We've been told the truth. But because they're sad, they're walking in the wrong direction, they conclude that, or at least I'm going to conclude, that maybe they didn't believe. Because if you really believe you're going to walk in the right direction, you're not going to be sad, right? You're not going to be overburdened. Well, they should have walked towards Galilee with hope. Instead, they're walking towards Emmaus with sorrow. Jesus asked them as they're walking, why are you sad? What's going on here? And they're in their mind, they're probably, what cave have you been in? What rock have you been hiding under? Haven't you heard about everything that's going on here? Don't, don't you understand about what happened to Jesus? You've heard of Jesus, right? Can you imagine what they're asking Jesus? Verse 25, it says this, And Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering glory? Jesus is like, you guys, come on. Jesus then goes into the Old Testament, Scripture by Scripture, concerning about himself. It's like he's saying, hey, the proof is here, right? Tomb's empty. I've shown myself to people. The Scripture talks all about this. I'm showing you all these evidence. Right? So, so why are you sad? Church, none of us have walked into that empty tomb unless you've been over the Holy Lands and you've had the opportunity of some sort. But none of us have walked into that empty tomb of Jesus. None of us have seen Jesus probably face to face, right? But we know about the eyewitnesses who have. We know about Scripture's truth. We know that this is the inerrant Word of God. And we believe that. So why would we possibly be like those followers who walk in the wrong direction in sorrow? We have the Word of God. Why are we so slow to believe that God loves us? That God cares for us? That God provides for us? Why do we get so downhearted and discouraged and depressed at times over the circumstances of life? Maybe we just need a good dose of God's Word because that's what He gave to these two men. They needed to hear through the Scripture. They need to hear the words of Jesus. Maybe that's what we need as well. So I encourage you, we, we need to go into God's Word. We need to seek truth. We need to have our eyes open and realize that what? He is walking right beside us. Oh, I'm sorry. He's actually walking in you, according to Scripture. His Spirit resides in us. And we need to remember this because... We know that as we go through daily life, we're going to have trouble walk beside us at times. We're going to have challenges in life. We are going to have division. Oh my goodness, there's so much division these days, right? It seems like, let's fight for unity, but it seems like somebody's always quarreling with somebody. And just because you have opinions, all of a sudden nobody wants to talk to you. We need unity, don't we? Despair confronts us. Temptation challenges us. I don't care what political party you're from. doesn't matter to me, your educational background, how much money you make, the color of your skin, 
Where you grew up, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to God either. Because here's the thing. All of humanity, we're all infected by sin, right? It doesn't matter what your background is. Sin permeates this world. And because of that, we're not excluded from the consequences of sin in this world. So we fight every day a spiritual battle, don't we? And we're challenged emotionally and physically. And sometimes it's rough. And maybe, maybe this is why we're sad at times. Because of what comes our way and the consequences of sin. But church, I'm here to remind you today. You are saints. You have his spirit residing in you. You do not need to walk in the wrong direction. You don't need to try to fit in. And you don't need to walk in sorrow. There is a hope. And the question is, do you really believe this? Do you believe this? Has the news of the resurrection changed us? Has the truth of God's spirit in you convicted you and convinced you and catapulted you forward in your faith? That's the question. So how do we handle it? Let's go Old Testament. In your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 37. In this chapter, we're going to learn about an Assyrian army. They opposed God's people. The Assyrians did. They came to threaten, insult, and belittle King Hezekiah of Judah. The people in this city, they were going to see this threatening army around them. They would hear the insults of the, the messengers from the Assyrian king that came to talk to them. And King Hezekiah, when he heard this message, he tore his clothes, poured ashes over his... Because that's what you did back in those times. When bad news came, you ripped your clothes, you pour ashes over you, and you show your sorrow. The king gets this bad report from the Assyrian army. He goes, uh, I'm going to give it to Isaiah. Isaiah is a man of God. Maybe God has a message to give back to us. Maybe I can get some good news, right? So we find the specifics of this detail through chapter 36, now 37, starting in verse 5 of chapter 37, we read this. After King Hezekiah's officials delivered the king's message to Isaiah, the prophet replied, Say to your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be disturbed by the blasphemous speech against me from the Assyrian king's messengers. In other words, you're getting a lot of threats from this messenger, from the king. Don't worry about it. Trust me. Trust me. Okay. Deep breath. Trust God. So it's all good, right? I I mean, just trust God. Go back to business. Like, like we uh, think the enemy is going to give up that easy. I mean, just because you showed up at church today, or maybe you go to women's study, or men's study, or every man a warrior, uh, or, or maybe you go to East or West, or maybe you go to GPS or Tupas, you're like, oh, the devil's like, oh, they went to church. I'm not going to mess with them anymore. Do we really think that's the way the devil works? No, I think he works harder when we make a decision to not be a chameleon. He works harder when we have chosen to be committed. He usually comes back, comes back again, and sometimes even harder because he knows how fickle we are as human beings. He knows that we waver in our faith. So he's just going to keep hammering away, right? Verse 10 through 12 basically tells us the king of Assyria sent back a message to the king of Hezekiah. He says this, Don't let your God, in whom you trust, decide whom, I'm sorry, deceive you with these promises. That Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. 
you know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done with whatever they've gone. They have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? Have the gods of other nations rescued them? So the messenger is basically saying, you think you can trust your God? You see what we've done to everybody else? They have gods too. Their gods didn't protect them. Your God won't either. That's what the enemy does. See, the enemy shouts back at us, don't trust God. (laughs) Don't trust God. Why would you want to trust God? Look around. Righteous people fall all the time. Christian leaders make mistakes. They fall all the time. Their God did not hold them up. God's not going to hold you up either. So maybe you shouldn't trust God. You think your God's going to keep you from being defeated? Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever heard that kind of whisper before? Have you ever had moments of depression or disappointment, a broken relationship, maybe a sinful habit that's caused you to believe, I'm never going to be victorious? That's what's being pounded again. I'm telling you, that Assyrian king and that messenger, a bunch of bullies, aren't they? Just keep pounding back at us, people of faith, right? So this time, King Hezekiah is like, got the message. What did he do? He went and got quiet with God. He got on his knees and prayed. That's the right thing to do, right? When you feel like you are just being attacked over and over, the best thing for us to do, get quiet, get with God, and just take it right to him. Listen to the prayer of King Hezekiah. It starts in verse 16. I'm going to put 16 and 17 on the screen. I'm going to read a little bit more afterwards. And I'm actually going to stop in between. I'm going to like read a phrase and just stop because I want you to think about what he's praying here. He starts off with saying, O Lord of heaven's armies, you are the commander in chief. You have an undefeated, incredible army. O God of Israel, not just one little town, one little area, one acre, one house, but a whole territory. God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You are the center of attention in heaven. Amongst all the angels, you're right in the middle because you are God. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the, uh, of the earth. There are no other gods. Moses, David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, prophet after prophet proclaim there are no other gods. And Hezekiah claims the same thing. You alone created the heavens and the earth. There are no great creators or designers out there that can do what God did. I'm sorry, you think in our scientific land that we live in now, and of all our technology we have, we think we got some incredible designers, but nobody like God. God took nothing and created something. Nobody on this planet can take nothing and create something. We can take materials and make something from materials, but we can't take nothing and make something, which is what God did. And this is what Hezekiah claims. Verse 17, bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. It's as if Hezekiah is saying, like a little child looking up at mom or dad. You know, come here. Do you ever have that? Any of your kids ever like sort of, and you got to do this? You're like, yeah. And they want to make sure they got your focus and attention, and then they want to whisper into the ear. They want to make sure that you hear them. And Hezekiah's like, God, bend down and listen to me, your child. Verse 19 goes on to say, 
They've thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and they burned them. But of course the Assyrians could destroy them. It's like he's agreeing with what, this, what the messenger said. Yeah, God, they destroyed them because they're false gods. A wooden God will be burned up. A stone God will be shattered. But God, you will not be because you are real. Verse 20, now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone are God. He concludes his prayer by asking God to rescue him so that others will recognize the true and only God. God, if you'll rescue us, everybody else will see you are God. Isn't that an incredible prayer? Hezekiah's got it. I'm not, he wasn't a perfect man, but he got it. When being belittled, he's trying to be committed to the God he serves, but now he's getting picked on because he serves God. He's being bullied because he serves God. He's being made fun of because he serves God. He wants to be defeated because he serves God. And what does he do? He goes to God and says, God, I'm here on your behalf. Rescue us. I'm on my knees because you're God and I am not. And how does God answer the prayer? God gives a response to Isaiah. Isaiah brings that response back to Hezekiah. And he basically says this. God planned long ago all that's going on right now, king. This bully king of Assyria, his evil deeds, was planned long ago. God knew about them. God knew they were going to happen. The people have a great fear of Assyria. That's part of the plan. Everybody fears the bully. Everybody fears the evil in this world, right? God's like, I know. And I want you to know this too. I am bigger than that fear. With a flick of my finger, I can extinguish all evil. That's how big and awesome I am. As if God planned all of this, what you're seeing today, part of his plan, so that we can understand as scared as we are of our economy, as scared as we are of a foreign nation, as scared as we are of the world events, our God can flick it with the finger and be done. Part of his plan to help us remember who's in charge, not us. He is. We need to turn our attention to him, right? Verse 28, listen to the words of God. But I know you well. Where you stay... When you come and go, I know the way you have raged against me. Because of your raging against me and your arrogance, which I have heard for myself, I will put my hook in your nose, my bit in your mouth. I will make you return by the same road on which you came. God basically is telling the king of Assyria, I'm going to beat you. You will be dealt with. And as for God's people, there's a time when you will plant and harvest and you will experience new life. Matter of fact, it said in the third year, third year, third day. I always get amazed by those threes in the Bible, right? As I read that passage, I couldn't help but think that I feel like we needed to hear that today. Because we live in similar times when we look around this world. And the enemy uses the voice of media, activist groups, and other bully-like people to intimidate us and scare us. Have we forgotten that we serve a risen Savior? We must rise up by getting on our knees and praying to God. We pray to God. We seek God. 
We call on God to rescue us. We then live in obedience. We walk in the direction that he has asked us to walk. We do not fit in with this world. We are not chameleons. We are committed Christians. And if you believe, then you live like you believe. Going back to this passage in Luke, the followers of Jesus, they were walking in the wrong direction. And they were walking in sadness. We need to walk in the right direction. And we need to walk in hope. Because he is alive, we are alive. Because he has risen, we will rise as well. We live in times when we have to really trust what we do not see. Oh, wait, didn't the scripture say that? We walk by what? Faith, not by sight. But we live in a world where it's like, well, I I live by what I see. If I didn't see it, I don't know if I'm going to believe it. Right? That's sort of the way we live. We're often challenged then, because of this, we're often challenged, well, trust science. Because science works with things that you can see and touch and feel, right? And here's the thing. I just want to let you know, and I don't want to start a debate here, but not all scientists are correct, okay? I'm a professional. I'm a professional. See, nobody asked, nobody asked this professional about how to handle a pandemic spiritually. We wanted to listen to the scientists. That's okay. But have you listened to the professionals that deal with mental health, spiritual health? That's important. Now, I'm not claiming to know it all. I don't. I make mistakes too. Just as I'm saying there are scientists who make mistakes, there are spiritual leaders who make mistakes as well. That's why we trust God. That's why we walk by faith, not by sight. Because when we start putting scientists or spiritual leaders on pedestals, somebody's going to fall. God never falls. God never fails. Let me give you an example. I heard a story, and I really couldn't believe this, so I looked it up, because it's like, there's no way this is true. I mean, come on. Ludicrous. Crazy idea, right? So in the New York Times, this was published just two weeks ago, March 25th. Here's the article title. It said, should we block the sun? Scientists say the time has come to study it. Now, let me read the article from the New York Times. It says this, the idea of artificially cooling the planet to blunt climate change, in effect, blocking sunlight before it could warm the atmosphere, got a boost when an influential scientific body urged the United States government to spend at least $100 million to research this technology. Yes, this is a true story, okay? So you're like, this can't be true. It actually, I think, was like an episode on The Simpsons years ago. Okay? And you're like, this is a cartoon. This is true stuff, okay? Read on. That technology, often called solar geoengineering, entails reflecting more of the sun's energy back into space through techniques that include injecting aerosols into the atmosphere. In a new report, the National Academics of Science, Engineering, and Medicine said that the government urgently needs to know whether solar engineering could work and what the side effects might be. Basically, scientists are urging our government to spend $100 million to block the sun. All I can picture in my mind is a bunch of guys with hairspray going, yeah, we're blocking the sun. Global warming is now going to be down. And I'm going, that's what I'm picturing. Okay, that's crazy, right? But when I'm looking at this, my first thought was this. This is a joke, right? That, That was my first thought. We need the sun. We long for the sun. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. On the first day, God created light, the sun. Of all things he could create on the first day, what does he do? 
the sun, light, vitamin D, vegetation needs it, coastal tides need it. There's a lot of things, you know, obviously there's a lot of effects. Blocking the sun, whatever, okay. Second thought then is like, trust the science. You want to know why now I have a problem trusting the science? Things like this give me a hard time in trusting the science when it seems so ridiculous. Third thought. Now, just as these people think the only way to make this world a better place is to block the sun, we're living in a time when there's a lot of people today think the best way to improve this world is to block the sun of God. Think about it. They aren't doing studies in the government. People are just doing it. We've got to block the Son of God. Do you know why? Because he gives life. And it scares people. We wonder why there's so much depression and darkness in this world. It's because people are trying to block Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This world needs the light of the world. This world needs the Son of God. I'm going to encourage you to do this this week. And I'm not going to check in on you. There's not going to be a phone call or text message. Did you do this? But Ephesians chapter 5, you can write it down. But in Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to encourage you this week. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 and read it. Every day this week, read Ephesians chapter 5. Just read it over and over. I'm going to read it to you this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as I'm reading this. Because this scripture talks about how we as Christians, now listen carefully, we as Christians are not chameleons. We are committed, and by committed I mean we are not just believing, we are living it out. We have the light of this world in us. We have God's spirit in us. So listen to the scripture as it gives direction on how to live in the light. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love for others. Follow an example of Christ who loved you and gave himself up as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And God was pleased because this sacrifice was like a sweet perfume to him. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is really just an idolater who worships the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the terrible anger of God comes upon all those who disobey Him. Don't participate, quit being a chameleon, don't participate in the things that these people do. For though your hearts were once full of darkness, now listen to the scripture, church, though your hearts were once full of darkness, now you are full of light from God. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, the light of the world was not extinguished. His light is alive. 
His spirit resides in you. You were once in darkness. Now you are light. You're not living in the light. Listen carefully. You're not living in the light. It says this. It says, now you are full of light from the Lord. The light is in you. And your behavior should show it. For this light within you produces only what is good, right, and true. Try to find out what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, rebuke and expose them. It's shameful to even think about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But when the light shines on them, it becomes how clearly how evil these things are. And where your light shines, it will expose their evil deeds. That's why it is said, Awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live, not as fools who live who are unwise, but those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because you'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit and let Him control you. Then you'll sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. And you'll always give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of your Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we are not chameleons. We are committed. If we believe we walk in the right direction and we walk with hope because we have God's spirit in us, we have the light in us and nothing can block the sun. You know why? Because the sun is in you and when you live for him, you are going to shine. world can't stop that. Couldn't stop Jesus, can't stop you. Would you stand please? Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. Thank you, Lord, for your light, for your presence for your spirit residing in us. And God, I know, easier said than done. God, I know when I say all this, to receive what I am saying might be challenging because there might be somebody out there today that said, but I'm still depressed, I'm still discouraged, I'm still struggling with these, these bad habits, these sinful habits that are destructive. But God, you've promised us that we confess our sins. You are faithful and just to cleanse us, to wipe out those sins, to free us from those things. Then we ask, Lord, that Almighty God, centered in the throne room of heaven, the only one true God, to come into our life and help us be victorious. You are faithful to that. God, you are light. The light of this world came into the world and the world tried to extinguish it, but it could not. And now that light resides in us. So God, as children of light, help us to shine for you. Help us to stick out. Not in an obnoxious way, but in a loving, life-changing way. We love you, Lord. We want to sing to you now. In thy name we pray. Amen.